last week we ministered on uh, Jesus' building His church. And that the church is made up of people. The only, the only resource God has for the kingdom of God is you and me. Anything He's going to do in the earth, He's going to do through people. He just isn't doing anything else. There's a time in the book of Revelation and, and uh, during the tribulation where the angels are sent and they preach the gospel through the air, but that's not us. The reason the angels are preaching, as we'll get, if we get through there in this message, is that we are no longer in the earth. So the angels are doing the job of the church, but right now we're his witnesses. Amen? So we're, we're anointed, we're called to be a witness for the Lord. But in that same part, in the church, people want the church to have everything that all the different ministries and, and in our church, we want to have the best children's ministry possible. We want to build the best children's ministry possible. But it's going to be built by people. It isn't built just by having classrooms. We have great rooms, we have great facilities. The only thing that we need in order to make that happen and to be better is to have more people who will be involved in building that ministry. So I want to encourage you to get involved, especially on Tuesday night. Maybe you don't come to church on Tuesday night and that, but it's a great opportunity for ministry. People want to find a way to plug in, to have value working with kids. And I'll tell you this, it doesn't matter what size a church is, whether it is a small church or a mega church, every church struggles with building children's ministry and having volunteers. And uh, I have friends that have thousands of people in their churches and they're always having to recruit uh, volunteers in that area. So I want to encourage you. And the great thing, especially on Sunday morning, is that you have the opportunity to come to first service and not miss out. A lot of times people go, well, I would come, but I don't want to miss out on the Word. So we give you two opportunities. So on the, on the Sunday that you want to serve and be involved in children's ministry, you can actually come to first service and, and get the Word and be ministered to. And then you're fired up and you can go in and uh, minister to those kids. Amen? So I encourage you, plug in, get involved, see Pastor Sue, and uh, plug in on Tuesday night. We want to expand and grow that ministry, but we just need workers serving once a month to say, you know what, I could do once a month and help out in this area. It would make so much difference. Hallelujah. Father, this morning, I thank you for your people. I thank you for this day. I thank you for what you want to do in our hearts and our lives. Lord, you, you said that, that we can look at the weather, and, and we can look at the sky, and we can discern the weather. But Lord, you asked, could we discern the times that we are in? So Lord, we want to have clarity of understanding of the day and the hour in which we live. We want to be able to look and hear the current events of our day and be able to understand how they fit into your eternal plan and purpose and to what you're doing in the church in this hour. And so Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and to be our teacher, be the one who opens our eyes, be the one who gives us uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive. We need you today. We need your help. We draw upon you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And this morning, <clears throat> the beginning of this two-part series, is the rapture real? Is it real? Uh, is the church really going to go? Now, let me just say this many times, and I said it uh, in first service, but many times when, when people begin to talk about the rapture one way or the other, uh, how many have ever had that day that you just wish it was real and it was coming today? Even so, come Lord Jesus. You know, like now, today's, I just know if you needed any advice, you need encouragement, today would be the day. 
for the rapture. But that's a way, that's escapism, that's not truth, amen? And so the rapture isn't a truth that, that, that we hold on to to get out of here. The rapture is connected to the fulfillment of a part of God's eternal plan. And we are in a church age, and when God completes what he's doing with the church, there's a transition, there's a shift in what he goes through. And depending upon your background and where you are, in fact, I had a friend send me a message on Facebook, oh, I saw you teaching that lesson. So he goes, uh, you know, just kind of, what, what's your viewpoint? Where are you coming from? And so I said, well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pre-trib guy. Uh, which means I believe that the rapture begins before the tribulation begins, that that's the church going out is part of what releases the, 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 uh, the tribulation to begin, marks that beginning. Some people believe in mid-trib. Some people believe in post-trib. Some people believe in no-trib. Some people just believe they're staying. And I say, God bless you. Let me know how that works out for you. Amen. But uh, from that standpoint, but, uh, and so I said, I'm that, I'm, I'm a dispensationalist. A dispensation is, when you believe in dispensation, it's that area that if you study the Bible, you find out it's a time when God is dealing with people in a specific manner. We are in the dispensation of grace. Prior to grace was the dispensation of the law. Amen. Prior to the dispensation of the law was the dispensation of conscience. Amen. And prior to that was the dispensation of innocence. In the garden was innocence. Up until the fall, man was innocent. And then after the fall, man was governed by his conscience. And then after that, man was governed by the law. And now we're under the dispensation of grace. It is that season which God, how God interacts with people. And, and so, and, and there's time frame to it. There's, the Bible talked about ages and dispensation. And so as I wrote back that to him in a little bit, he didn't respond. So I'm not real sure where he was coming from, but he didn't say cool or anything else. He just didn't respond, praise the Lord. And I have another minister friend, and they're very sarcastic about the rapture. And one of their points is, is this, is that if the Lord was going to come back, he would have come back by now. I said, well, I'm glad you're smarter than he is. Praise the Lord. Amen. You just figured out God, you don't know what you're doing, but you should have had it finished by now. So, and that means that he's relying upon us and we're in trouble. So anyway, amen. But before I begin, I do have to give some props out for the, how many, how many of you here know who John Muncie is? Okay, I sent John a message and I said, John, today I am your mini me. I'm dressed in black and I'm using a laptop. Hallelujah. <laughs> and, I, and, and I'm using the information they give, but I did tell John he has never looked so good. Praise the Lord. He was encouraged by that. <laughs> Amen. I think he's live streaming. I sent him a text. I do doing a live stream, but he said, he, and he sent me a text that it's not working. I said, I thought you were techie, but anyway, we kind of go back and forth. <laughs> So anyway, he sent me some information, I took it, and then Larry and I were talking to him the other day, and I told him I removed all the heresy so I could use it. So this morning, you have a very clear understanding of what the Word of God says. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and beginning in verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant. You need to understand, anytime Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant, it's usually because they were. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those 
who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. If you have your Bible, look down beginning at verse 8, chapter 5 and verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to what? For God did not appoint us to wrath. And part of where we believe in the tribulation is that when you get into the book of Revelation, it's declared at the time of God's wrath upon the nations of this world. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together. How? With Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Now turn just to the right a little bit to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Amen? And so, basically, those are some of the key foundational scriptures, and we're going to look at this from a little different standpoint this morning when it comes to the word of the Lord, uh, to, to the rapture, and what God's word says about that. Now, the rapture in this point, let me just give you this little, uh, um, make sure my thing is working here. There we go. Next slide, please. The rapture is the most ridiculous, absurd, outlandish, outrageous, preposterous, ludicrous, bizarre doctrine found in the Bible. To many people, that's the way they see that. But, I believe it 100%. There's many things in the Bible that are kind of outlandish and far-fetched and, and hard to lay your, wrap your mind around. That's why the Bible says that the natural man doesn't receive the things of God. They are spiritually discern but we have to be honest with ourselves look at this next point when reading the bible there are a few things that honestly sound a little far-fetched the doctrine that we're going to address here today is certainly in that group it's hard to fully comprehend it but it is clearly taught in god's word it is referred to as a catching away and appears in a few different times in scriptures an honest reading of the Bible puts this event in a class of its own regarding end-time events. Meaning, there are clear events about the second coming of Christ that are repeatedly spelled out for us throughout both Testaments. Yet there is this one event that does not match the rest of the second coming scenario. What Paul just read about there and what we read in Thessalonians doesn't really match along with some other scriptures that we'll get into through this study. It stands out as something entirely different. There are some easy, understandable events surrounding the second coming of Christ that are put in plain words for us to easily grasp, meaning the second advent, as we'll see 
hopefully this morning if we get there. But then there is this one event that doesn't match the rest of the events found in the typical second coming passages. This event appears only about three times with unmistakable differences from all other passages about the second coming. And this is what happens many times. We like to do this. We like to take everything and, and throw it all in the bag and mix it up and make it one. We're going to talk about, we're going to break some of this down a little bit. But between the, the, the day of the Lord for the church and the second coming of Christ, you find there are a couple different aspects. And, and to break that down, the second coming of the Lord is Jesus is literally coming back to the earth. What we read about is us meeting him, him coming, and us meeting him in the air. And so he doesn't make it to the earth, but we rise to meet with him. And there's some areas around that. But so when you begin to put all that together, well, he's coming back. He's coming back, and we mix that all up. How many know there's different ways to pray? But if you take all those different ways to pray and mix them all up and put them in a bag, then you miss out on the benefits on all the different types of prayer. And that there's nine gifts of the Spirit, but if you just take take the Holy Spirit and put everything about the Holy Spirit in one bag and pile it all together, you miss the fulfillment of the distinctions that are in there. Same thing with the coming of the Lord. And so in this area, uh, this next point, lately this doctrine is becoming under attack by Christians more and more. You're finding more and more controversy even in the Christian world and circles concerning the, the, the catching away of the church or the, the rapture of the church. Even among those who believe it, and it is hotly contested as to its timing. People will disagree. Well, I'm, like I said, I'm pre-trib, post-trib, you know, mid-trib, no-trib. And so people, yeah, there's there and all this, but da 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 Okay, cool. Entire groups of believers are split over how they see it fitting into the end time scenario. So we want to take the time to dive into this topic and try to make sense of it. Somebody should say, good luck. <laughs> Amen. It's not that hard. See, let's be honest. A simple, honest reading of the scripture places us in a rather interesting dilemma. We read the second coming of Christ being the culmination of final and end time events. And yet we read in other, in other passages where the Lord's return is followed by a completely different set of events that follow it. What is the answer to this apparent conflict? So we have all this stuff. What's the answer? It is this, the rapture. Is it a hope or is it a hoax? It's a hope. Amen. And so... In that area. So now the question arises. Here's the question that comes up. Is there any precedence for the subject in Scripture of a rapture, of catching away, of God taking me? Is there any biblical, spiritual precedence in the Word of God? And what we have to do, we, we, we are an instant society. We don't like to take the time to dig or to spend the time to learn and to get into things. And so this lesson is a little deeper than we normally do. We, we, a lot of times we just want to come in. I, I want a fast food message. I want to get it. I want to get in. I want to get out. I want to go on about my life. But how many know that when eternity is stake, sometimes we need to take a little more time? Maybe go a little bit deeper. So is there anything in Scripture for the catching, the rapture or the catching away of the saint? Look at this next. Is there any account of God previously catching anyone away before they died? Absolutely. So we look at, we, there's two accounts in the Old Testament. One is Enoch uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24 just simply says, Enoch walked with God and he was no more because the Lord took him. So here he was alive. He gives birth to his son, Methuselah, at the age of 65. He walks with him for 300 years. And then at the age of 365 years of age, how many know that's old enough? 
Glory to God. And says he, he walked with God, and, and then the Lord took him. And Hebrews 11 says that because he had this testimony that he pleased God. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. 2 Kings chapter 2, we're going to read a scripture there in a moment about Elijah with Elisha saying, If you see me when I'm taken up from you, so here he is, they're walking together. He says that any moment, and, and, and it was a, a promise of an imminent return. And even Elijah said, you know, if you see me when I go, then you can have what you ask. And Elijah kept trying to get Elisha to stay behind. He said, no way, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to see you when you go. Amen. And then Philip, in, in, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8, he's preaching to Samaria. And then after he preaches that revival, then the Lord tells him, leads him, and he goes down in, into the desert there. And he runs into the Ethiopian eunuch. And he begins preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch because he sees him reading the scriptures out of Isaiah 53 about the Lord. And, and he goes and joins himself to him says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And, and the eunuch says, how can I unless somebody explains to me what I'm reading? And so Philip begins to preach. It says he preached Christ to him. And then after he heard the gospel, he accepted the Lord and they're kind of riding in the chariot together they look wait a minute there's water by the side of the road so there was a, a little pond there a reservoir there or something and he says what forbids me from being baptized and Philip said nothing if you believe he says I believe so they go down in the water they get baptized and here they come up out of the water and how I many this would be a little different you know it's like we have a water baptism you say pastor would you meet me I mean I remember Cole got baptized on the river and I said yeah and he's going in the Marines we meet at the river and and then I baptize him, and as soon as we come up out of the water, I'm gone. <laughs> Cole looking around, where'd Pastor go? I don't know. He was just here. Just did the ding and up and the guy, and he's gone. Where'd he go? And the Bible says that the Lord took him up. The Lord, he was taken up and removed from one place to another by the Lord. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, who was caught up and taken up and caught up of the same word. It's harpezo that's used of the catching away, the same reference that's used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that they read that we saw be caught up with the Lord in the air. And so Paul said, I received my revelation. He says, well, I'm caught up there. I didn't know whether I was in my body, but to him, it was as if he was in his natural body. So I don't know whether I was spiritually understanding that or whether I physically went there. I don't know. But there I received re visions and revelations from God of things I couldn't even talk about. And so he said, I can go this far. I can share this with you, but this other stuff is top secret. I can't share this with you. In Genesis 5, there it is, it says that Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And the word there for take him is this, it means to take, to carry away. I love this word, to fetch. Fetch. That God's going to fetch his church. Another word is to seize, to take out, to seize, and to lift out. I love that. With Elijah, it says here in, in verse 9, and so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, you've asked a hard thing, but if you see me when I go. And we know the account in scripture there that just shortly after the heavens opened up, the chariots of God go down. I wonder how he got on. I think about weird. Anyway, moving right along. <laughs> He like jumped. Did they come down? He's like hitchhiking. I mean, what is the kind of thing? It's me over here. Is there like a chariot stop or something in that area? So, anyway, so anyway, 
But there he is, and he goes, the mantle falls, he strikes the water, we know what goes from there. Hebrews eleven five. it says, By faith Enoch was translated, that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And that's what's so important about this doctrine. Why is the rapture so important? We can get into this just a little bit deeper. Is that there is this area of the imminent return. That this is an event that the church has declared that could take place at any moment. There is no way to distinguish when it's going to be. The second coming of the Lord is a little more specific because it deals with specific end times events. There are some very specific things. When you get into the book of Revelation and the tribulation, there's some things that are delineated out on a timeline that are very specific. There's 1,260 days and then another 1,260 days that add up to seven years. And there's some things that mark that. The abomination of the desolation when the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple as God and calls himself to be done. That, that's marked right at that time. And from, it says from that time on, there's 1,200. And then there's certain events that happen that are coincide with the second coming of the Lord or the Lord coming to the earth. Amen? And so those things, so you can kind of know that, okay, we got like, boom, that's that event. Okay, 1,260 days, man, and this whole thing's coming to a conclusion. So, so, so when God gives timing in there, there's a reason for it. But there's never a time around the return of the Lord concerning the church. It is left there as an imminent return. The purpose is, is that because you don't know, you're supposed to always live ready to go. And so it causes us to live in the fear of the Lord and to walk in holiness before God so that we're living a life that is pleasing unto the Lord. Can you say amen? And so from that standpoint, and so he had that testimony that he pleased God. And the word there in the Greek means to transport, to carry over, to change or to remove. But what about Jesus? The Bible tells us that Jesus was taken up in front of his disciples. Jesus was taken up in front of his disciples. The, the word there in, in the Greek means to take up, to receive up. And in Acts chapter 1, he's on the mount there with them. He's speaking to them. And as he's talking to them, he begins to ascend into heaven. And the angel says, why do you stand looking here like this? This same Jesus is going to come back in like manner. So they saw him received up in the cloud and he's coming back in the cloud. But this is specifically to the church. Amen. And so we like that, praise the Lord. And, and uh, I don't have time to read it, but 1 Timothy 3.16 says that this is the, what godliness is, and it breaks that down, that Jesus came, was born of a virgin, he lived, he was buried, he was crucified, and he was received up into glory. Amen? Hallelujah. So he's coming back in like manner. Look at this next point. People seem to have a problem with the Lord taking us to heaven without dying. Or being raptured. People get upset about it. But yet we believe that Jesus is in heaven right now seated with the Father. How many believe that besides me? I believe that the word God says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And, and, the, and the Bible says also that we are seat, spiritually, we're seated there with him. That's our place of authority. So, so we get this spiritually, we have this connection, we believe this. But we also believe that when we die, we go to heaven to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. So where is he right now? He is in heaven. When our loved ones pass away, we read that scripture out of 1 Thessalonians. Don't be discouraged. Encourage each other. When somebody passes, they're going to go be with the Lord. And we're going, man, if I'm out of here. I don't have to fear death. I'm with the Lord. I have this assurance. Anything happens to this car, if this gets in a serious car wreck, if this car gets totaled, I survive. That's kind of what it is. Amen? 
So he's kind of, how many have seen those cars driving down the road? You see them just crash them and go, and you wonder, did anybody survive? That's the way I look at people sometimes. You look at their life, they look a little rough. You want to hope they survive. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Is there a survivor in there? Amen. But we believe when we die. See, the rapture just takes dying out of the equation. Are you with me? Matthew 22, verse 32 says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of what? The dead, but the God of what? The living. Praise the Lord. So God's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And you and I are alive. And so when it comes to God receiving the church, that's why it says, those of us who are alive and remain, we shall be caught up to be with Him, and we are being gathered together to him and we are living with him right now you are alive in christ amen Amen. and you are his body in the earth so look at this next point there's a very important and vital part that we've kind of touched on already to this truth that when removed has a very damaging effect upon the life of the believer and the devil knows it when you take this point away from our doctrine our faith and our life with god then it has a very damaging effect upon our life. And that is this imminent return of the Lord. That in a moment, at an hour when we think not, He can come. This truth causes us to walk in the fear of the Lord and holiness before God, to be ready and expecting His return at any moment. Amen. I would love for the Lord to come now. I said it in second service towards the end. I used to always get a kick out of my daughter Jamie as she was growing up because as a a young girl, she wanted to get married. She'd go, Dad, do you think the Lord will wait until I get married? (laughs) No, honey, I I hope so. I want to get married and I want to have kids. Now that she's married and has kids, she's like, come call Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. So the coming of the Lord is imminent, meaning about to happen. Look at Matthew 24. Let's read this. Look at it. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Amen. So if you got a call, hey, next Thursday, 1130, I'm like breaking into your house. You go, man, I'm going to make sure I'm home. Surprise, I'm still here. Amen? And so you would stop that. Therefore, be also ready for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in what? To season. So God's given us that stewardship to minister. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find him so doing. So like I said last week on building the church, it's so important that we are part of the building of the church that you're involved. The church is not spectator. It's not come in, listen, and hear, but it's a part of being built. We're a part of the building. We're involved We're in some type of ministry serving. God gives every one of us gifts and talents and ability to be ministered out to others and to strengthen others. Amen? Verily I say to you that 
that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. There's reward that comes with this. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. Which is what my friend said. Hey, if he was going to come back, he'd be back by now. It's taken too long. This can't be true. So I'm adjusting my doctrine because I think God's taken too long to fulfill his word. <coughs> Excuse me. And shall begin to smite his fellow servant and eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he is not looking for him. And in an hour that he is not aware of, he shall cut him asunder and appoint him as portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How many know we want to avoid that? Let me just say this. Anytime you're reading the scriptures and Jesus is giving a warning... When you read any of this, anytime you're reading in red and the Lord is giving a warning, wisdom would say, pay attention. Amen? To look, drive down the road and the, and the road says bridge out. <laughs> oh, I think somebody just put that there to play a joke. <laughs> Go ahead, Bubba. <laughs> Prove it. Amen. And so anytime God gives a warning and the Lord gives a warning, it's there so we can avoid the devastation that has become. So look at this. Before we go any further into this subject, there's some foundational issues that must be addressed. The most important aspect of eschatology, which is the study of things to come, is to rightly define and divide the word. If you're going to study scripture, you have to make sure you're defining things right. Like I say, you can't just take everything and put it in a bag and shake it up and say that's it. That isn't the way the word of God works. God makes distinctions for a reason. And it's part of this is because, you, and because we just live in this instant day, you can Google anything. I'm thankful that putting a, a PowerPoint together, I'm not the techiest guy, but thank God there, there's a program called PowerPoint. It said there's things on there, there's already templates made, I just have to click on it. I just got to stretch the box off. I can copy scriptures and put them in there. I can find the illustrations that I want and put them in there. I can get pictures of Elijah going up. I can get a picture of Enoch there. You didn't even know we had photos of them. So, I mean, we have all this stuff. So, it's there, but we're, we're so used to instant access and everything being so easy, I think we've lost the discipline of true study. Because when I want to know something, I can just pull it up and read it, and then I think because I've read it, I know it. No, you just read it. doesn't mean you got it. Amen? How many of you have ever talked to your children? You've told them over and over and over and over again. They're going, yes, yes, yes. And you know they're not listening to you. Because <laughs> they heard you, but they didn't listen to you. Amen? So think about it. So when it comes to that, be diligent. 2 Timothy 2, look at it. Be diligent to present yourself. Go, go back to the last one. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. What? Rightly what? Dividing the word of truth. Look at how the Amplified says it. Study to show yourself, to study to do your best to present yourself to God approved. To present yourself to God approved. How many of you have ever had a Jehovah Witness come to your door and you hid behind the curtains? You were intimidated to talk to them because you talk to them and they can flip their Bible and they've studied what they believe. And you start asking them a question and they're like, and you go, man, I can't keep up with them. I don't know what to do. I have a cake in the oven. Got to go. And you've never baked a cake in your life. Anyway, moving right along. <laughs> So study to show you, study and do your best to present yourself to God approved. A workman, everybody say workman, tested by trial who has no reason to be ashamed. No reason to be ashamed. 
accurately handing and skillfully teaching the word of truth. See, when people like that come to my door, I want to ask them questions that they have to let ask me the answer for. So you want to turn it around where you ask the question where you're the one that gets to provide the answer from the scripture, not them. So look at this. When we study the word of God, we must remember that God reveals the end from the beginning. All of humanity is going to end up at the back of the book. Whether you want to be wanted to or not, this world is coming to an end. We could have the best president in the world, but sooner or later, this thing is going to culminate in an end. And everything, all the nations are going to be judged, everything. And there is a kingdom coming. Amen. The Lord is coming back and he will establish his kingdom. And it's going to be a kingdom, right? He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And then there's going to be the complete purging and a new heavens and a new earth and eternity. Amen. Amen. But until then, we need to understand, okay, so we go back to the back and then we read backwards. Many times if you go to the end and read backwards, you get a little more clarity. Sometimes it's important to go to the end and then work backwards. Christ in the church, and this is an important distinction. We're going to break this down. Christ in the church are for the individual. When we think about the church, what we are, this is about every individual being saved. The church is for people. It's for individuals. And every individual will be judged for how they accepted Christ. Philippians chapter 2 says this, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that there's going to be that day when everybody, whether they believed or not, they're going to have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. When you become a Christian, you choose to bow now rather than later. I choose to bow my knee now today and pray and say, Lord, I believe that you're Lord. I believe that you're my Savior. Jesus, I repent of my sin. Forgive me. Wash me with your blood. Wash me with the word. Come into my heart. I give my life to you. I will live for you as Lord of my life the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. And I confess him as my Lord now. Amen? But there will be a day when every man confesses him that Jesus is Lord. Better now than later. So, but think about this. As a nation, Israel is promised the throne of David. <clears throat> this is where a little bit where Judas was messed up. Judas was a zealot. The zealots at that time were, were, were a counter uh, group, culture group that wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire. They, they, they wanted to get everything. They wanted to have their kingdom back. And so they were like little, little Jewish terrorists running around and they're creating all the havoc they could and just irritating the, the Roman oppression that was over them. And so Judas thought, the only way I can get him, Judas believed, but he wanted God to do things his way. Like I said last week, when Peter got, got distracted and Timothy brought it up about the things of God and the things of man, when Jesus said, I'm going to die, and Peter said, not so, Lord. Because he wanted him to be Messiah his way, not God's way. And what happens to us when we want God to work our way and not his way, we get things twisted around. So Israel, as a nation, promised the throne of David. And they will have, and next week we'll get into this a little bit, Romans chapter 11. Israel is promised a literal day of atonement. And you're going to find out that because God has promised, has, has given forgiveness and shown grace to the world, he's able to show a whole level of grace to Israel because of what he's made available to us. Romans 11 is one of the most powerful chapters when it comes to understanding this truth in the Bible. Now hear this. When we read the word of God to prove and substantiate our opinion, 
opinion, instead of reading the Word to God to see if our opinion is validated by the Word, we move into error. And what I mean by that, when you talk to somebody, whether it's Jehovah Witness or whether it is a Mormon or whoever it may be of any other persuasion or, or whatever, and they'll go, yeah, but the Bible says here and the Bible says there. Well, that's you proving your opinion. That's not you proving, seeing if your opinion is validated here. Because you can make the Word of God say anything. Are you with me? And so people get caught up in all kinds of things. So, but let me just say this when it comes to Israel. Our misunderstanding on Israel will be the downfall of America. We have come very close. Thank God for President Trump who understands the importance of our allegiance with Israel. But our previous president did everything he did to tear that down. And he did some things that were amazing and people haven't understood. And trying to come up with the two-state solution, all these other things. What happens in the book of, of Revelation that there actually is a time where Israel, through turmoil, signs a peace treaty. That brings about a ruler over them. And then in the middle of his rule, he sets himself up as the temple as God. And that's the abomination of desolation. And so when you don't understand that, then things get messed up. And America, regardless, will be a stupid nation in the end. We have a little bit of wisdom in holding on to our agreement with Israel, but we'll miss it in the end. We are not Israel, and I'm talking about the church. Today, you and I here today, we are not Israel, guys. We are the church. We are the church. We are not Israel. We are the body. We are the bride. And this is what we're talking about when it comes. Jesus is coming. He said, I will build my church. And the, last night was amazing. We were with uh, Kadisha and, and, and uh, Vita and, and Muhammad and, and, and our Persian church family. We had a Jewish rabbi washing the feet of Iranians. We had an Armenian pastor laying hands on them from behind praying for them. We had an Iranian, a spirit-filled Iranian pastor as the guest speaker. We had a Ukrainian pastor praying as well. And then we had us Heinz 57 people in there. And we, were, and we just had, we had the church, what was there, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, and we were a family together. Are you with me? Yeah. We were a family. That's the church. That's the church. And that's where we're made out of, out of the world, every nation, every tribe. It's very important that we rightly define the church and its purpose. Most of what is taught today is a blended theology of Christianity and Judaism. We mix it up. Or the church in Israel. Somehow we're the church and we're Israel and we're this and we're that. No, you are a wild branch grafted into the root. Amen. And the branch doesn't redefine the root. The root defines the branch. And we are made joint heirs. We are grafted in. And, and we are made joint heirs. And God cut something off, Roman tells us, that he cut off the righteous branch so he could graft us in. And if their falling away leads to our salvation, how much more their restoration? That's next week. Amen. So watch this. Or some, or we are not, or the church in Israel, in some theological camps of replacement of Israel by the church completely. Replacement theology is that with the destruction of Israel and with the, uh, in, in 70 AD, and that there is no more nation of Israel, there are people and believers and Christians who no longer believe that Israel has a right to exist as a nation, that the church has completely replaced them. That's replacement theology, and it's in complete error. 
Amen. Yet the Word of God makes it a very clear distinction between the two and clearly defines their purpose in God's eternal plan. Is this too much this morning? Are you staying up with me? All right. Ephesians chapter 3 says this, that God did everything in Christ according to His eternal purpose and plan. And so God, and this is what we need to remember, God is fulfilling His plan. He, he, he's, not, he's not doing what you think He should do. God has a plan that He is completing. And it's important for us to live with that understanding. Look at this next slide. We are not Israel. No, I'm, I'm sorry, I got ahead of you. We are not Israel. We are the church, the body, the bride. And this, oh, excuse me, I didn't know it was me. My bad. Go ahead to the next one. I, I pushed up instead of down on my clicker. Amen. Now watch this. Judaism and Christianity, okay? Prior to the coming of Christ, there was Jewish law. And then with the Passover, in a couple weeks, we're going to have the Passover Seder. This all ties completely into this. We're going to have the Passover. And, and so here we had Judaism, and this is going on. And then the Lord came, and at Passover, he gives us life. He fulfills it. He becomes the Paschal Lamb. He gives up his life. He sheds his blood for our redemption. And then after that, that 40 days here, after the resurrection, he's ascended. Ten days later, the day of Pentecost comes. He comes down the church's birth on the day of Pentecost. And then we move into this period right here. Of, of, of the transition period in this area in 40 years up until the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But this whole age right here is the beginning of the Christian, the Christian age or the church age or the dispensation of grace. And through this time, God is reaching people, <coughs> excuse me, individually through Christ. And then when the church fulfills its mission, then the church is caught up. Go to the next slide if you would, Donnie. And so let's just back it up a little bit this way. You have creation in Genesis chapter 1. You have creation. And then Adam and Eve were in the dispensation of innocence here. And then the fall of man comes. And then they run around for a while in the dispensation of conscience. And then the Lord calls Israel out. He forms Israel, brings them out, gives them the law. And we live by the law. And we go into the dispensation from, from innocence to conscience to law. And then man lives by the law. But Israel thinks that it's not so bad in this period of time here. They're thinking, hey, it's not so bad to hang out with the world there's a lot of nice people and their intermingling with the world got them to contaminate themselves and God brought them into judgment and because of how they interacted with the world caused God to send them into captivity we're doing all right but see in the church today we think there's nothing wrong with the world either amen pastor that's really a good point you know I see a lot <laughs> yeah and we don't think that it will contaminate us that it will hurt us in fact, Cindy asked me the question from Bible school, I think it was last week, and talking about that because in the book of Ezra, when they're rebuilding the temple and they're restoring, then they come back from being in captivity and God said, don't intermarry. But yet they didn't listen to God, so they intermarried. So they had wives and they had children being intermarried. And they said, now you have to put that away. Why? Because what's in them, the heritage that's in them, in a generation or two, that's going to lead you and lead your children away from me. And you'll find yourself back in the same part through compromise. That's why the Lord said, what you've allowed to remain will become thorns in your side and pricks in your eye. And when we don't believe in the imminent return of the Lord, we don't think that's serious. So there's compromises with the world that we allow to remain in our lives. And we wonder, where is this problem from? Where are these issues coming up in my life, in my marriage, in my job, in my relationships? How come all the... Because you've got stuff remaining. Yeah. Moving right along. 
And so then we come to here, and then Jesus is born, and he lives, and then he ascended after his death. We cover them, Pentecost comes, and then we live in this space right here. And then in 1948, God reestablishes the nation of Israel, gives them back the land as a nation, fulfills Jeremiah 23, and we see this coming to pass. And we're living right here. You're right here, guys. We're in this little space. So we had all this to get to here. And right in here, since 1948, and now we see all these things coming on, and we see more and more things happening, getting closer and closer to the end of the church age. And then when you find, it's amazing, that when you find that uh, in Revelation chapter 1, John writes a letter, receives a revelation of the Lord to the seven churches, and uh, chapters 1 through 3, and then beginning of chapter 4, it says, And behold, I saw a door opened up in heaven. And I heard a voice saying, come up hither. And John goes up to heaven. And from that moment on, from chapter 4 on, John's perspective is looking down from heaven on what's taking place in the earth. Are you listening to me? And so he is caught up. And then so those seven years of tribulation, everything leading up to that time is from a perspective. Of John is a representative or type of the church is taken up into heaven to view what happens during that tribulation period. Now remember this. I said we are the body of Christ and you are the bride. The bride and the body is not appointed unto wrath. Jesus was beaten and suffered persecution once. You remember when Moses was in the wilderness and leading the nation of Israel through the wilderness and they wanted water and they were murmuring. And so the Lord said, hey, speak to the rock. I mean, strike the rock. The Lord said, strike the rock and water will come out. So Moses struck the rock and water came out and they drank, made a it's huge to, to see how, how much water came out. Uh, this, this wasn't like a water fountain over here, because you've got to remember there are over 2 million people plus animals and everything else. So enough water for them to complete. It, it was a reservoir, just a, a waterfall reservoir came out of this rock. Amazing. Living water in the desert. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says the rock that followed them was Christ. And so the rock was stricken once in living water. Amen? The next time they got upset, Moses said, their murmuring complaint, Moses went over and hit the rock again. And, but God said, Moses, don't hit the rock, speak to the rock, and water will come out. But Moses said, I'm going to do it the way I did last time, I'm going to strike it again. Jesus will only be smitten once. Are you with me? And so the body of Christ, as his body, his body's not going to be beaten again. He's not going to go through wrath. He's not going to through judgment again. That's why the Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, he says, we are not appointed unto wrath. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9 is the same thing. Luke chapter 21 and verse 36 in there says, pray that you are appointed, uh, appointed that, you are, uh, that, that you are worthy to escape all these things that are coming. And so there is an area, people say, oh, you just believe in escapism. No, I, I believe in the body being redeemed. Yeah. Amen. I've already escaped judgment because I'm in Christ. My escape took place in my conversion. My escape doesn't happen at my rapture. Can I get an amen? amen. That, that's not my escape. My escape came the day I bowed my knee and I confessed him more. I am no longer appointed unto wrath. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Yeah. Amen. Now watch this next one if you would. And it's this, is that uh, when we see this again, is that, and, and I love this guy, if you haven't done it, you can Google him, his name is Clarence Larkin. 
And Clarence Larkin did some of the most amazing drawings and breaking things down, just some of the clearest things of defining uh, these truths in, in a way that's just awesome. That's why I say, I love the fact you can go on Google and pull the, I have the books in my office. You used to have to do all this by book. You used to have to try to figure it out. This is so cool that we can use this, amen? So watch it. So we have in heaven, when Jesus up there, before he was with the Father, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and then the Word became what? Flesh? And dwelt among us. So here he is. He's born in Bethlehem. He lives out these 33 years. And then he's suffering. And then he ascends into heaven after his death, his resurrection. He ascends up into heaven. And he goes into that area. And now we're in this church age. Isn't it amazing? Next Sunday when we partake of communion. And, 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 and when Michael does the, the Passover meal and the Seder meal that we're going to look at through all this stuff. Is that we declare the Lord's death. Look, at we receive communion. Drink this cup and do so. Eat the bread and drink the cup. Ye do so. You, you do so and declare the Lord's death till he come. Amen. Amen. And then he comes and then the church fulfills it. The dead in Christ rise. We join him up here. Da, 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 da. We get up. We hang out in heaven. We're up there at the judgment seat of Christ. Woohoo! And then we're hanging out up there. And, and that, that song, trouble, 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 trouble. Hanging out here. Amen. And we're up here saying, hey, told you. See, mid, how's mid working out for you? Hope post has happened. Yeah, hey. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. So look at these next two questions. What's God's purpose for Israel? What's God's purpose for Israel? What's God's purpose for the church? If you misinterpret that, Everything about future events gets changed. Everything about your eschatology. If, if you blend the church and Israel together, if you don't see the distinction, if we get those two things wrong, everything that follows wrong. You need to understand this. Israel is God's nation. Jesus is God's man. Israel is his nation. Jesus is his man. And we're called to go into the nations. And this is what you have to understand in this, and I'm not getting it real clear this morning, I have to quit. But in this, every nation will be judged by Israel. And next week we'll give you a few. Every prophecy concerning the coming of the Lord and concerning Israel, you will read, is tied to nations. And all the nations of the earth, in, in the book of Revelation, it is nations coming in. Not individual. There's no individual judgment when you move into there. But God has purpose. He raised up Israel as a nation so that through them, he would judge the nations. And, and by their interaction together, by nation against nation, nations will be judged. How nations interact with Israel, they'll be judged. But Jesus is God's man. And how every individual interacts with Christ, they will be judged. Which is why you can go into any nation. The pastor from uh, Iran, pastored there for 25 years. And he was, finally, he was in prison three times. And the last time they told him he had to leave Iran. But in prison for preaching the gospel. And he said, and, and he spirit, it was awesome, he's spirit-filled. I love praying with people from foreign countries when they pray in tongues. It is so awesome. We're up there and you hear him. And because you listen to him talk, you say, man, I don't understand that. But then when they start praying in the spirit, say, man, I, I understand that. I may not have the interpretation, but I, I, I know what that is. Amen?
And so we're there. So cool. And, uh, but anyway, he's sharing that, that there he is in Iran. He's preaching. God said there, there's a revival going on. And the one thing they've shut down in Iran is all the Pentecostal churches in Iran. They've completely shut them all down. But it's working in an underground movement and things are still working. And so they went to Turkey and they started a church in Turkey. And then it got up to over 300 in Turkey. And then the Lord's released them. They've come over here and that work is still going on. But God is good. Amen? And so he worked. But so that's, I mean, Jesus meant so in every nation you can go and lead individuals to the Lord. And in the middle of, of, of that Islamic terrorist uh, uh, places, people in ISIS are coming to the Lord. So in the middle of nations, one, the man Jesus is reaching individuals and nations. Are you with me? But those nations, if they don't repent, those rulers are bent, and there's a pattern of nations, and that's going to come about. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses two through six, uh, 5 and 6 up here, chapter 2. For there is one God, one meter between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified. Now, so where does this leave us today? Let me ask you this question. I have to move down to a spot here. Where does this leave us today? Bill, if you come back to the keyboard. The day of the Lord is to be preached as being at hand. <clears throat> as to be an inspiration for accepting Christ today. There's no promise of tomorrow. When the early church preached, they preached the coming of the Lord. They preached about the return of the Lord. It wasn't just Jesus save you, but now that he's saved, he promised that he's coming back for us. He's building his church, he's gathering his body, and he's coming back for us. This was the hope. That's why it's called, is it a hope or is it a hoax? It is our hope. I remember when Jesus spoke to his disciples, I, that, don't be discouraged. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's what? House, there are what? Many mansions. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. And if I go to prayer, I will come back for you that you may be with me where I am. He is in heaven. So the promise is that he's coming back for us. Amen. And they shared that in the gospel. And so people say, well, when is he coming back? We don't know. Be ready. Just be ready. Well, is he coming next week? No. Maybe. <laughs> next year? No, maybe. This afternoon? Hope not. Maybe. Could be. God has a timeline that's being fulfilled. It has always been that he could come at any moment. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Look at this. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we, we, who are not dead, shall be changed. Paul says there's, there's a promise of a moment that's in front of us. In a moment, we'll be changed. Look at this next verse, 2 Corinthians 6. We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, that was a lot of information. And it is. There's a lot. 
a lot of information. Gospel contains a lot of information. But the essence is, is that Jesus came, he lived, he died. He's been received up into glory and he's promised to come back for his own. And the offer to you today, my friend, is to become one of his own.